0: Welcome to the Preaching Ministry Podcast of Mount Pisgah Baptist Church in Easley, South Carolina. Our goal is to exalt the Savior, evangelize the sinner, and encourage the saint through faithful exposition of God's Word. Well, I am delighted to be here. Thank the Lord, Brother Chad. I've heard so much about Manpisgah all these years, and it's an honor uh, to be with you. I want you to take your Bibles today, if you would, and find the fourth chapter of the Gospel of Mark, Mark 4. I'm preaching two different messages this morning. I'm not telling you that to impress you. We traveling evangelists can get away with that, all right? If I was a pastor, I would never do anything that crazy, never, but we have uh, two sermons. I'm telling you that for this reason. Uh, I prayed this morning about which message God would have at which hour. And I'm telling you that because somebody's here by the divine appointment of the Lord. Somebody's here to hear this particular word in this hour. I'm preaching today on this subject, surviving the storm, surviving the storm. A lot of our music today, Brother Jeremy, thank you so much, uh, just goes with this. So God is up to something. Stand for the reading of the word of God. Would you do that? Everybody standing before we sit to hear the word of God. Look what it says in Mark chapter four, one of my favorite miracles It begins in verse 35. I'll read through the end of the chapter. On the same day when evening had come, he said to them, let us cross over to the other side. Now when they had left the multitude, they took him along in the boat as he was. And other little boats were also with him. And a great windstorm arose and the waves beat into the boat so that it was already filling. But he was in the stern asleep on a pillow And they awoke him and said to him, "'Teacher, Master, do you not care that we're perishing?' Then he arose." That just sounds so good, I'm gonna read it one more time. Then he arose and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, "'Peace, be still.' And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. But he said to them, "'Why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith?' And they feared exceedingly and said to one another, "'Who can this be, that even the wind and the sea obey him?' I'm preaching on this subject, surviving the storm. Surviving the storm. Please be seated and pray with me. Every head bowed, every eye closed. God, thank you for the glorious music, the privilege to praise your name. Now, God, what I need, I need from you. I can't work it up or perform it or act it out. I must have your unction and anointing. So God, would you loose me and let me go? We want our enemy to know that we know that he's a liar and he's a loser, And he's welcome nowhere in this house. So God, would you do the preaching and I promise to give you the glory in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. Psalm 107, 29 says, God stills the storm and he calms the waves. I still love that great old corny story of the guy who became an Uber driver very first day on the job. And he picked up his very first passenger as an Uber driver, the guy got in the back seat. And for 10 minutes, they drove down the road without one sound, not one peep. And after ten minutes, the passenger in the back reached up and touched the Uber driver on the shoulder. When he did, that guy lost his mind. He hopped a curb, ran over the sidewalk, sideswiped a fire hydrant, took out a chain-link fence, went careening through the parking lot and stopped inches short from the plate glass window of a department store building. And the guy in the back was out of his mind screaming, Man, are you nuts? What's wrong with you? The Uber driver, gasping for breath, said, Man, I'm sorry. Dude, it's not your fault, it's mine. You gotta understand this is my very first day as an Uber driver. For the last 25 years I've been driving a funeral hearse and this is my very first day (laughs) driving an Uber. So I'm gonna tell you what happened. That old boy lost control and ran into trouble. Have y'all ever noticed life's a lot like that? Have you ever noticed you can be cruising down the highway of life and everything's good, money's in the bank, the sun's out, kids are healthy, the job's secure, and all of a sudden when you least expect it, the sun disappears the dark clouds come rolling in and you're in the middle of a storm. That's exactly what happened to a bunch of guys on a boat called the disciples one day when they ran into a storm. Can I set the story? Can I set the table? This is so good. The day began with Jesus Christ teaching on the shores of the Sea of Galilee. Now understand y'all, he's not standing on the shore, he's in the boat. The boat was his pulpit. And the boat was moored there to the edge of the shore and thousands were there to hear Jesus. What a day that must have been. And when Jesus finished preaching at the end of that wonderful day, he sent the crowd away, put the disciples on that same boat and that pulpit boat became a passenger boat. And they got out of the middle of the Sea of Galilee. And the Bible said when they got out there, a great storm came, a life-threatening storm came. That old wooden boat began to creak and crack, water come in faster than they could bail it out. And those experienced sailors and fishermen began to have a meltdown and scream, Mayday, SOS, we're going down. Now let me cut to the end of the story. Not the end of the message, but the end of the story. Let me tell you what happened. Those old boys survived the storm. They didn't survive the storm because the Coast Guard came steaming up or the Navy SEALs came swimming up. They survived the storm for one reason. There was somebody on board that boat that could stop a storm. Jesus Christ stood up, Jesus Christ spoke up, and that storm had to shut up. And I want you to notice the response of the disciples when the storm was stopped. I love this. Look at verse 41. And they feared exceedingly and said to one another, who can this be that even the wind and the sea obey him? That word obey means to bow down and listen to authority. Y'all know what happened? The creation just did what the creator told it to do and it just stopped. Brother Chad, I'm glad this story's in the Bible cause it helps me so much. Because it's such a picture of life. I mean, we're just really traveling to another place. We're really traveling across the sea on our way to another location. And when we least expect it, sometimes storms come up and they threaten us and they try us and they terrorize us. Can I tell you something? I would announce to the entire state of South Carolina, if it could hear me today, the same person that stopped that storm that day is in the house right now. The same one. You know what that means? That means he can bear any burden. That means he can cure any crisis. That means he can defeat any difficulty. That means he can eliminate any enemy. That means he can overcome any oppression. And I got good news, church. He can stop any storm, any storm. Now all that sounds real good, but somebody that's in this crowd this morning that's in a storm needs to hear this. There are three principles right here in this magnificent miracle. Three principles you better get if you're in the middle of a storm. Number one, it's good now. Number one, he promised you would make it through the storm. I'll say that one more time. He promised you'd make it through the storm. Gonna get good, son. Look what it says in verse 35. On the same day when evening had come, he said to them, let us cross over to the other side. Uh, that word cross means pass. Literally, it means travel. Everybody understand? Boys, we're getting in this boat and we're going the other side. I want y'all to know something. The moment Jesus said that, there was no way they weren't gonna make it. That's right. Amen. The moment he said that, it was a promise of God. There was no way they were not gonna survive that storm. You know why? He's the promise keeper, the perfect promise keeper. You know, folks in life will break promises to you, even people that love you. Hey, students, I'm an old geezer now, but I still like to ride roller coasters. But I gotta qualify, I like normal roller coasters. I don't care how high they go, how fast they go, but need to be normal. You know, they they engineer today's coasters with NASA terms. They really do. They use terms like G-Force and launch angle, and drop tower, and free fall, and inverted, and I hate inverted, hate inverted. And I was at a Florida theme park a few years ago, we live in Florida, I was at a theme park with my son-in-laws and my daughter-in-law, my wife, my grandchildren, we were all there, and my son-in-laws and son know I like to ride roller coasters, and they said, hey, let's go ride that roller coaster right over there, just me and them. And it was one of those coasters that was indoors, you couldn't see the configuration of it. And so I said, all right, boys, does it go upside down? They all said no. And I'm standing in line with my tough football coach, son-in-law, Patrick, I'm gonna ride with him. And I'm standing in line with him and right before we got on that coaster, I looked at him one more time. I said, Patrick, does this thing go upside down? My son-in-law said these words, this is a quote, I promise you it does not go upside down. I want y'all to know he lied to me, I want you to know that. (laughs) I want you to know the guy I gave my daughter to, The man that's the father of two of my grandchildren lied to me and when that thing went upside down, brother Chad, I'm not ashamed to say I'm a full grown man, but the first word that came out of my mouth was mama when I went upside down. (laughs) Son, somebody that loves me broke a promise to me. But can I tell you somebody that loves you that'll never break a promise? He's the permanent promise keeper. He's the perfect promise keeper. He's the precious promise keeper. And you know what's right here in this message that Jesus gives? Couple of quick thoughts about his promise. Number one, it's a divine declaration. Let us cross over to the other side. He never said, boys, we gonna give it our best shot. Boys, we gonna attempt to do it. Guys, we gonna get in this boat and hope it stays up. Gentlemen, he said, we're getting in this boat and We're going to the other side, and I'll say it one more time. The moment he made that statement, the Navy didn't have a torpedo big enough to sink that ship. It was going to go over to the other side because all of the promises Paul said to the Corinthian church, all of the promises of God are yes and amen in Jesus Christ. Can I remind you, Jesus was going to make it. There was no way he was going to drown. You said, now, wait a minute, Rick. He was human, fully God, fully man. He got thirsty. He got tired. He hurt. Surely he could have drowned. Oh no, you better get this. This is good. Y'all know why he wasn't going to drown? Because God wasn't finished with him yet. He had not yet gone to the cross. He had not yet paid for my sin. He had not yet shed his blood. He'd not yet been put in the grave and risen again. He'd not yet done that. And I got a word for somebody in this house. I'm telling you, as long as you got breath in your nostrils and that heart is beating in your chest, I'm telling you that storm will not take you down until God's finished with you. It's not gonna happen. It is a divine declaration of the Lord. Everything he says in this book is a divine declaration Somebody need a word, I got a word for you. The Bible said you can shout amen to his promises. I got a promise. Exodus 14, 14 says, the Lord will fight for you. That's an amen. You can shout amen to Jeremiah 11, 29, when he says, I've got plans for your life. You can shout amen. You can shout amen when Romans eight thirty five says, nothing shall separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. You can shout amen when he says, I'll never leave you or forsake you. Let me just move on by saying this, boys, the sun will burn out, the moon will blow out, and the stars will beam out before my mighty God ever breaks one of his promises. I'm telling you, the promises of God are true. It's a divine declaration, but I'm not finished. The promises of God are not only a divine declaration. This is good. The promises of God are a divine destination. I gotta give you this before I go on. For the Bible said, let us cross over to the other side. Y'all do know there's another side. Y'all do know, let me use some good English. This ain't all there is. Y'all know that, don't you? The Bible says there's another side. We're going to the other side. Boy, I like that preacher. Brother Chad, I'm told I've reached the age in life where I need a bucket list. And I really don't have a great bucket list. I've been privileged to see much of the world. I really, I don't want to do anything weird. I I don't want to run with the bulls. I don't want to swim with a great white shark. I I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to skydive. I don't even want a hair transplant. I mean, really, really, uh, I really have no thing that I wanted to, I do have one material thing I want. I want this. I do, I've wanted it for years. I want a 1969 classic Camaro. I do. My wife thought she was cute a couple of years ago when she got me one for Christmas. It's about that big, sits on the shelf in my office. <laughs> And I make this promise, if somebody ever donates a 1969 Camaro to my ministry, I'll drive it in the name of Jesus. I promise you all do that. I'll praise him every day. A preacher, I really don't have a great bucket list, but there's one place I wanna see. I'm a baseball fan, baseball's my favorite sport. There's one place I wanna see, I wanna go to the Field of Dreams. I wanna go to that cornfield in Dyersville, Iowa. Field of Dreams where they made that movie many years ago. You know, two years ago, they had a baseball game there and the New York Yankees played the Chicago White Sox. And all the ball players came out of the corn, you know, like they do in the movie. And the lead actor of the movie, Kevin Costner, came out of the corn holding a baseball. And he walked up behind second base and said to all those crowds in the stands, that famous line from the movie, he said, is this heaven? And they all busted out screaming and cheering because that's one of the lines in the movie, is this heaven? No, it's Iowa. It's on bumper stickers and it's on T-shirts. Is this heaven? No, can I tell you something? Heaven's not in Iowa. That's right. And heaven's not in Florida. And heaven's not in South Carolina. Right. And heaven's not in Hawaii. Y'all know where heaven is? Yeah. Heaven's on the other side. That's right. Our granddaddy's brother Jeremy used to sing that. They used to sing on Jordan's stormy banks, I stand and cast a wishful eye, I'm going to the other side. When I was a boy, gospel quartet sang this song, I'm gonna take a trip on that good old gospel ship. We're gonna to go to the other side. There's another side. When Paul got ready to die in 2 Timothy 4, 6, Paul said, the time of my departure is at hand. And that word departure literally in the Greek language is a picture of pulling up the anchors and setting sail for the other side. We're going to the other side. When I think about the news and all the going on in our world, I think about not just what's gonna be on the other side, y'all, I think about what's not gonna be on the other side. Can I encourage you what's not on the other side? On the other side, there's no ventilators. There's no ventilators cause there's no hospitals. There's no hospitals cause there's no patients. There's no patients cause there's no disease. I tell you what else is on the other side. On the other side, there's no coffins. There's no coffins cause there's no bodies to bury. There's no bodies to bury cause there's no cemeteries to put them in. Cause on the other side, there's no death. Can I tell you what else is on the other side? On the other side, there's no war. Nobody's launching rockets anywhere because there's no violence and there's no violence cause there's no curse. And there's no curse because there's no sin, and there's no sin because there's no devil. You understand what I've said? I have said there's no more disease, there's no more death, there's no more devil not on the other side. On the other side there's no broken hearts and broken homes and broken hope. On the other side there's no sickness, and sorrow, and sadness, and struggling. On the other side there's no griping, griping and grieving, and groaning, and grumbling. And on the other side, we'll never, ever hear another COVID report from the CDC. Hallelujah. What I'm telling you is there's another place. It's on the other side. And I'm planning on going, aren't you? There's a promise right here. You know what the promise is? The promise is there's a divine declaration. He said it's going to happen. The promise is there's a divine destination. We're going to the other side. But I'm not finished. I got to preach this now. Somebody needs this. Because I'm telling you, number one, he promised you'd make it through the storm. But number two, don't miss this principle. He is present in the middle of the storm. He promised you'd make it, but he's present in the middle of it. Now this gets good. Look what the Bible says in verse number 36. Now when they had left the multitude, they took him along in the boat as he was. Boy, preacher, I love that. You know this miracle is recorded in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Three of the four gospel writers write this miracle, and did you know Mark's the only one that puts that little nugget in? Mark's the only one that tells us there were other little boats there that day. It's fascinating to me because I believe every word in the word of God is there for a reason. So Mark tells us there were other little boats that day on that massive lake, the Sea of Galilee with Jesus. And you don't have to be a theologian or a Bible scholar to understand it. I believe God wants us to know there were other little boats there with him because I believe he wants to remind us there was a big difference between the disciples' boat and those other boats. They had Jesus on their boat because he promised you would make it through the storm, but he's present in the middle of the storm. I was flying into Atlanta a couple of years ago. I'm a traveling evangelist and I'll probably fly 30 times a year. Nothing glamorous about flying. I'm just telling you, I fly all the time. we will fly back home today all the time. And I've never been afraid on an airplane except one time, one time. And that was that time flying into Atlanta. Oh, it was awful. I was on that airplane and I had an engagement in a church in Atlanta the next day and it was Saturday evening, it was August and those thunderstorms were all around us. It was awful. Matter of fact, the pilot circled for a while and then he came on and said, we might divert to Columbia, South Carolina because the storms are so bad, but he kept circling and circling. And I'm telling you, it was bad. I was sitting right on the wing, by the window on the wing. and I'm telling you, It looked like the thing was flapping like a bird. I mean, that plane was all over the air and lightning flashing outside the plane. The light was lighting the inside of the plane. and I mean, it was bad. And you would think at a moment like that, people would be screaming, but they were. they were ominously quiet. That's why I could hear the little woman next to me in the center seat, and she was gently sobbing. She really was, and she was praying, praying. And so I thought this would be a great time to minister, and I interrupted her praying, and I said, ma'am, I'm sorry, I couldn't help but notice that you were praying, and she said, oh, yes, this is my first time on an airplane. Now, my first thought was, boy, lady, you picked a great night to make this your inaugural trip, but here's what I was gonna do, preacher. I was gonna set her up and witness to her, and I was gonna be real smooth about it, So I didn't tell her what I did for a living first. All I said was this, ma'am, I fly all the time, all the time, and we're gonna make it, we're gonna be fine. We're flying in the busiest airport in the world. You know, I gave her all the statistics about how planes are safe and all this junk, and I told her, the pilots know what they're doing, the instrumentation's all good, we're gonna make it, because I was setting her up, trying to be real smooth. And then she said, well, what do you do for a living? And I said, I'm a preacher. And before I could say anything else, here's what happened. I said, I'm a preacher. She said, oh, thank God. And I didn't have the heart to tell her, lady, just because I'm a preacher don't mean we going to make it. I didn't have the heart to tell her, <laughs> but, but I talked to her and found out she was a believer and she had a great testimony. And Man, we started sharing about the Lord and they did clear us to land in Atlanta, took our mind off the storm and preach. I'll never forget it. We landed in Atlanta with a bit of thud, but we landed, and so I tried to be real cocky about it. We landed. And I said, see, I told you we were going to make it and I'll never forget a response. When I said, I told you we were going to make it, she said, oh, I know, I know. Said, I hadn't been worried ever since you told me you were a preacher. She said, I knew because you were a preacher we were gonna make it. I knew God wasn't gonna kill a preacher. And once again, I could have said, no ma'am, God's killed preachers before, and he would kill me if it's time. But preacher, I got all welled up inside, and I got excited. That woman was pumped up just because a preacher was on board the plane. Can I tell you something? When you're in the middle of a storm, you don't need a preacher, but you do need a savior. You understand? So I'm gonna ask you a question. Is Jesus the captain of your ship? Is Jesus guiding your vessel? Is your both the SS self or is Jesus in charge? Because you might wanna write this in the margin of Bible. I'm gonna tell you this before I go to my last point. And by the way, I'm preaching what I'm supposed to preach in this service. Somebody needs this. Let me tell you why you better have Jesus on board your boat. I'll tell you about the storms of life. Number one, they are sudden, they're sudden. Look what the Bible says in verse number 37 and a great windstorm arose. You know what that little word arose means in the Greek language? To stir up suddenly. The storm stirred up suddenly. Everybody that's been to Israel, pastor and I were talking about it, he just got back. I went in June, breaks my heart what's going on over there right now, in the nation of Israel. Preacher, my favorite part of Israel is Galilee and everybody has been to Galilee knows what I'm talking about. Meteorologists, geologists will tell you that because of the way the Sea of Galilee sits, storms come up suddenly. It's 628 feet below sea level, and it's like a big old football stadium. All those mountains range from one side to the other, all the way around that massive Sea of Galilee, and it's down in a basin, and storms come up suddenly because the warm Air from that water rises up and meets the cold air from those mountains coming down and storms stir up suddenly. Now that's true geographically, but let me tell you how that's true practically. Let me tell you why storms are sudden. You know how far away a storm is for you right now? It's a phone call away. A storm is an x-ray report away. A storm is a doctor's visit away. A storm is a broken relationship away. Adrian Rogers was my favorite preacher And he said a quote, preacher, I've never forgotten and all of us can identify with this. All of us in this building, whether you're on live stream or sitting in this church, all of us have this in common. Everybody, no matter how cool you are, student, no matter how macho you are, sir, all of us have this in common. Everybody right now is either headed into a storm, you're in the middle of a storm, or you're coming out of a storm. Everybody, everybody. Most of us never know a storm's coming until we're right in the middle of it. 24 hours can change the course of your life. Two weeks ago, my wife and I were sitting having dinner after I got back off the road when she got a phone call from her sister who lives in Tampa, Florida. And she's trying to express cheerful hellos and all of a sudden, her sister laid the devastating news that our 33-year-old niece was killed that afternoon. 33 years old, with all of her life in front of her. Killed, shook up the whole family Went to bed fine and the next day was dead. And I'm not being morbid, but I'm telling you, that's how fast storms come up. I'm telling you, the storms of life are sudden, but I'm not finished. Tell you what else you need, Jesus. The storms of life are not only sudden, son, the storms of life are severe. But well, look what the Bible says. Boy, the language is so vivid. The Bible says that in a great windstorm arose 37 and the waves, I, I love the, the language, beat into the boat so that it was already filling. That That word beat means to fall on with full force, full fury. Can I tell you something? The Bible tells us that this storm was an eruption. You, you, you know what that phrase means literally when he talks about the storms beating the boat? Matthew describes it this way. I told you Matthew recorded this miracle. In Matthew eight thirty four. Matthew calls it a tempest. That word tempest is the Greek word seismos. Where we get our English word seismologist. Say, Rick, was this an earthquake? I'm telling you it was an eruption. Matter of fact, that word seismos only appears two other times in the New Testament, both times in the Gospel of Matthew. It happened in Matthew 27 when Jesus hung on the cross and it came time to die, he gave up the ghost. The Bible said there was a seismos, there was an earthquake, and graves opened up all around Jerusalem. And it appeared one more time, it appears in Matthew 28. When on that first Easter morning, an angel came and rolled the stone away from the door. And the Bible said there was a mighty earthquake. There was a seismos. Say, Ricky, you said this was an earthquake. I'm saying it was an eruption. It was not a downpour, it was not a water spout. It was not a thunderstorm. It was an eruption of the sea below and the sky above. And I'm gonna tell you one more time, they're in a life-threatening situation, life-threatening. And the reason I'm preaching this so fervently, I want you to hear this, because I gotta ask a question. What in the world were they doing out there to begin with? What in the world were experienced sailors and fishermen doing out there to begin with? You might want to write this down. Now, this is profound. You know why they were out there? Because that's where God put them. I believe I'll say that one more time. Because that's where God put them. I don't give a rip what the joy boys say. I get tired of the prosperity gospel. I just get sick of it that everything's always gonna be honey and bees and flowers and trees and everything's good. I tore up my arm four years ago when our student cab, doing something I shouldn't have been doing, trying to catch a football. I'm way too old for that stuff. And my bicep just exploded in a freak thing and preacher, I had to have surgery. So my wife Judy traveled with me for the next 14 weeks. I was like this, strapped like this, had a cast like this, of course I milked it for all it was worth, but she traveled with me all, I couldn't even pull up my socks, man. And she traveled with me, and I was in Maggie Valley, North Carolina when I met a prosperity exponent of the gospel. This woman that wasn't even a member of church comes out to my book table and says, you know you're not really hurt. And I said, ma'am, she said, you need to cast that sling off, rebuke your arm, tell it that it's well, and lift your hands and praise the Lord. And I looked at her like she was just a nut because she told me just to rebuke it. She came to my table the next night. I said, you need to rebuke it. You need to rebuke it. Well, let me tell you what happened. On Wednesday night, the last night of the revival, she didn't come to my table. Her husband did and gave me some gospel track on prosperity. And I said, where's your wife? And he said, well, she's not here tonight. We went out after service last night. She got food poisoning and she's been vomiting all day. And I didn't say it. But I'm going to tell y'all it was on the tip of my tongue, man. You know what I want to say? I want to say, well, you need to go home and tell your wife, just rebuke the puke. I mean, that's what you need to tell her. And you know what I thought? Bless God, we ought to put that on a t-shirt. Rebuke the puke, man. I mean, you're not really vomiting. Pull your head out of the toilet and just rebuke the puke. You know what Jesus Christ said? Jesus Christ said, God sends rain on the just and the unjust. You know what that means? Christians get cancer just like non-Christians. Christians Christians have heart attacks just like non-Christians. Christians Christians have prodigals just like non-Christians. We're in the same world, in the same mess, with one big difference, hallelujah, we got Jesus, man. That's the difference. The storms of life are severe. Storms of life are sudden, they're severe. Let me give you this one, I'll go to my last point. This is just real practical. The storms of life are scary. They're scary. Man, let's get real. Look what the Bible says. But he was in the stern or the hinder part of the ship asleep on a pillow. That's an amazing statement to me, preacher. That verse 38. But he was in the stern asleep on a pillow. Y'all get that? I want you to chew on something you may never thought about. He went to sleep on purpose. This is premeditated sleep. He's not like what I call the bobblehead Baptist on a Sunday morning, you know. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Have you seen him there? And we preachers think it's hilarious. We want to say, go ahead and go to sleep, man. You're not listening anyway. (laughs) What I'm trying to say is he didn't just nod off. Oh, y'all got it? This is premeditated sleep. He went to sleep on purpose. Well, that's so good. Because he knew he was where God wanted him to be. And if they had realized they were where Jesus wanted them to be, they wouldn't have fretted like they did. And I'll get to that as I close the sermon. Because look how they responded. And preacher, I respond this way. Yes, I do. Because the Bible said they awoke him in verse 38 and said to him, teacher, do you not care that we're perishing, perishing? You ever ask God that? God, don't you care? God, don't you care I'm sick? God, don't you care I'm ill? Don't you care I've got cancer? God, don't you care I'm going through what I'm going through? I do that. I do that. Can I give somebody a word? Jesus Christ never stopped the storm from striking the boat, but he kept the storm from sinking the boat because he never promised smooth sailing, but he promised a safe landing. The storms of life are sudden. You may have one today. The storms of life are severe. Storms of life are scary. Let me go to my last point. Can I tell you three principles here why you can survive the storm? Number one, he promised you'd make it through the storm. Number two, he's present in the middle of the storm. And number three, he's still got the power to master the storm. Verse 39, then he arose. Brother Jeremy, my favorite Bill Gaither song is still because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. Thank God we don't have to wait till Easter Sunday to proclaim that he's alive. And he arose. Watch what happens. He makes two rebukes and I'm done. Then he arose and rebuked the wind and the sea. Peace be still is what he said. He rebuked the storm. By the way, you know what the words peace be still means? The word peace means to muzzle and the words be still means to sit down. Oh yeah, here's how we say it in the Deep South. Daddy say this all the time, sit down and shut up. Jesus told that storm to sit down and shut up. And the Bible said the winds had to lay down because he rebuked the storm. He's still the master of life and death. He still got power over wind and waves. He still got power over sickness and suffering, but that's not what I've come to preach to you. And I need to preach this because first he rebuked the storm and here's the hard part, preacher. Then he rebuked the sailors. First the storm, then the sailors, and somebody came to church to hear this. The Bible says in that verse, and the wind ceased, and there was a great calm, and verse 40 begins this way. But he said to them, why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? Don't look like he's never said that to you, preacher. He said that to me last year, last year. I won't go into detail, I'm about to close, but last year, after being on the road for 35 years, last year, I had to cancel 20 revival meetings. That's our livelihood. I preach about 40 meetings a year. I mean, preacher, 20 were wiped off the calendar because of a mysterious illness. And I didn't do good. I didn't do good. I moaned about it. I groaned about it. I'd walked in doubt. Preacher, I was discouraged. I mean, everything I preached about all these years, and I'm gonna testify to you because I'm transparent today and real, I didn't handle it well. My wife, who's the best Christian in our family, did, but I didn't. I moaned and fretted and wondered, preacher, how we're gonna make ends meet and how, how, how we're gonna survive. And my wife kept saying so calmly, she's so much more spiritual than me and I just can't stand that, but she is. And she kept saying, honey, has God not always provided? Has God not always come through? Has God not always been there? Maybe not according to our schedule, but according to his. What a mighty God. And there's somebody here today who's living with all kind of doubt and you're moaning and you're groaning and God wants you by faith to do this, quit wringing your hands and start lifting your hands. Quit doubting and start shouting. Amen. Which go ahead and declare to him that he is able to handle what you're going through because he's the master of the storm. One of the greatest days of my childhood and I'm closing, bad day and a good day and the same day. Brother Jeremy, I was, uh, I was raised in a preacher's house in Florida Country church daddy pastored and we took two weeks vacation every July and daddy always did the same thing. We would go to the beach, Indian Rocks Beach on the west coast of Florida one week and then we would go to the lake and the lake was my preference. Now I love the beach. We live on on the east coast. I love the beach, go all the time, but I love that second week with daddy. And I'm one of five brothers and sisters and we'd go to that fish camp and that camp, uh, the cabins were up on blocks Windows open, middle of July, no air condition, huge mosquitoes. Man, I loved it. Because I went fishing with daddy. Because my preacher daddy had one game goal in life. He wanted to catch a wall hanger. Large mouth bass put on his wall. And daddy's prerequisites had to weigh nine pounds. If it didn't weigh nine pounds, it wasn't going on the wall. And I remember that morning, y'all, we woke up. Daddy took my younger brother, I was probably 10, took my, me and my eight-year-old brother to the bait house and got them shiners. Daddy used to fish with shiners. Went on Lake Pierce, this massive lake in Lake Wales in Central Florida. Went way over miles and miles to the lily pads. Dad liked to fish along the lily pads. If I lived to be a hunter preacher, I won't forget it. We are fishing that day, and I believe that's the day daddy hung him. I believe that's the day daddy got the big one. Oh, son, I saw him. That bad boy was tearing up the top of that water. We all got excited. The rod was bending over, and daddy said, Rick, get the net, get the net, and I knew what to do. I'd been trained. I'd been fishing with my daddy for years, but I didn't get the net. I got so worked up, you fishermen know this is a sin. I reached over with both hands and grabbed that line. When I did, that fish came to the top, thrashed a bit, spit that shiner out. And I I still believe to this day he winked at me. I I do. (laughs) And then he was gone. And I just stood there and cringed because I really thought, I was fixing to go in after him. I really did. I I really thought I had a life jacket on. I thought daddy was gonna say, boy, you lost him. Go get him. That's my wall hanger. Well, preacher, we didn't have time for all that. I'll never forget this, one of my fondest childhood memories because just then, before daddy could say anything, we heard the thunder roll turned and a huge cloud from all across the horizon, ink blue all across, a massive Florida summer thunderstorm was rolling in. It was a monster. And I mean, lightning tracing across the sky. And it's right there. And my daddy made an amazing statement. He said, hang on, boys. We're going through it. It's amazing. Uh, there was nowhere else to go. Uh, we couldn't go on the shore. There were trees on the shore. Uh, there was nowhere to go. My daddy sat down, cranked up that outboard motor and took that little aluminum boat through that storm. I'll never forget it. Bouncing across those white caps and that hard water hitting us in the face. But here's what daddy did, Brother Chad. My daddy put me between his knees and his legs, and then my brother between my knees and my legs. And daddy took that left hand, guiding that outboard motor and took that big right arm and pulled it around both of us and pulled us to him. And here's why I won't forget it. One of my fondest childhood memories. If my daddy was afraid, he never showed it. As we bounced back through that storm, it was horrifying. But my daddy said three words, nothing else, just three words the whole time. And I suppose he said them 500 times. My daddy had that outboard motor, had that arm around us, and all the way back, he said three words, preacher. I got you, I got you, I got you, I got you, all the way back to the docks. I shall never forget that, because I got a better story than that. My daddy was a mighty man, but my heavenly father's greater than that. And for somebody who's in the middle of a storm today, God wants you to know this. I got you. I got you. I got good news. God's grip don't slip, man. He's got you and he's never gonna drop you. Oh, I wish I could sing, y'all, but I can't. If I could, I'd break into that Squire Parson's song. When he reaches out his hand, billows cease to his command. Winds and waves obey his will. When he tells them to be still, what man is this they heard him say? That the wind and sea obey. He's the one who sails with me. He's the master of the sea. Would you bow all over the building? Every head is bowed, every eyes closed. Would you stand to your feet with those heads bowed and eyes closed? Oh, I've just been full this morning, and. All this great music, I just believe this message is the divine appointment of the God. Some of our pastors are coming to stand at the front. I'm gonna pray first and then my dear sister is gonna to begin to play after that and we're just gonna move on with the invitation. Here's what I wanna do, preacher. I know we're on a time schedule, we need to get out, but here's what I wanna do. I wanna invite somebody to give their life to Jesus Christ. In this big crowd, there's somebody here. You know Jesus is not the captain of the ship and you need to hand him the wheel. Say, Rick, how would I do that? I'm gonna invite you to walk down an aisle. That doesn't save you. Then come take one of our men of God by the hand and just say, I need Jesus. I wanna be saved. But here's what I wanna do, preacher, because I really believe I preach this by divine appointment. I want us to have a prayer meeting. Can we do that? I wanna turn this whole front into an altar, Pastor Chad. I just believe somebody's here just needs to, the old gospel song said, take your burden to the Lord and leave them there. When's the last time you did that? I know you can pray at your seat, but there's something about getting on your knees. Somebody here in a marital struggle or a physical struggle or a financial struggle, I'm gonna invite you to come. I wanna pray for you. I wanna invite you to come and get on your knees all across this altar at the front and just say, I'm releasing this burden. I'm laying it down right now. God, thank you for the privilege to preach. God, I pray folks wouldn't worry about the size of the crowd or what anybody thinks. God, there's some couples, there's some families that need to lay a burden down today. There's some people hurting that maybe can't even kneel physically, but they wanna come and stand. They want somebody to pray with them. God, I pray folks wouldn't worry about what folks think. Save somebody for your glory and move among this crowd right now in Jesus' name that I pray. Thanks for taking the time to listen to the Preaching Ministry Podcast of Mount Pisgah Baptist Church. If you'd like additional information, please visit mtpisga.cc.